listening to the Soul Source podcast. I'm your host, Raquel Amel, and Soul Source exists here to share the stories that are shaping our world today. We're going straight to the source of the information to give you insights on topics, show you what's being done about them, and show you how you can help to make a difference. So buckle up, Soul Source Society, because we're just getting started. When you have Mother Nature as your business partner, you just really never know what to expect. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Raquel Lamel, and we are in the month of June here. And in case you weren't aware, June is actually Dairy Month. And since Soul Source is hosted in Wisconsin, which is also known as the Dairy State in the United States, we are talking about dairy farmers. What is life like for them right now? How much has the global pandemic impacted our country's food providers? And what does that mean for us at the grocery store? These questions and more are just a few of the ones that I am diving into with an old college friend of mine. And she just happens to also be a farmer's daughter. And she works at the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation. Her name is Amy Eckelberg. Amy, thank you for joining me here today on Soul Source. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and you've been connected to farming your entire life. I know um, you would talk about it a little bit when we were in college, but your farming roots go way, way back. Tell me a little bit about some of those uh, farming roots that you have and the knowledge that you have in farming from your family farm. Absolutely. So I grew up on my family's dairy farm. And so as a child, it was very much part of my daily duties to participate in the family business and do chores. That word chores still gives me chills to this day. Um, but it was pretty normal for, you know, me to feed calves every day and, you know, just help out with whatever I could, no matter what age I was. And so, you know, I grew up around cows and and uh, thought that was kind of pretty common stuff until I went to college. And I was happy to be away from the chores and all of the hard work that comes along with the farm. And then I realized that I had a really unique situation, a really unique story of being able to grow up around agriculture. And so when I left college, I really wanted to use my communication degree uh, to talk about farming and tell people about the passion and and all of the love that's um, in the agriculture community, because there really is a lot of cool stories and a lot of things that farmers are hardworking people and they just don't always have a lot of time to share what they're doing. And so my hope is that I can help them share that story. Your family farm, it's been around 150 years, actually more than 150 years. That's a very long time. That is a lot of history that you have on a farm that long. How has your family personally been impacted by COVID-19? I know it's taken a hit on a lot of farmers. And what your family is seeing, is that similar to what you're hearing from other farmers? Yeah, so definitely a loaded question. Um, We have a lot of history on my family's farm. Like you said, we're more than 150 years old, and that's not super unique for our farming uh, culture in Wisconsin. We have a lot of farms that are multiple generations old, and people take a lot of pride in that. You know, you when you say a family business, you know, your family farm, uh, you're, you're not kidding. Uh, there's a lot of history and, and he- heritage that comes along with that, and definitely a lot of pressure to live up to to that family business um, motto and, and hard work, but also a lot of pride. So uh, I grew up, we had about 60 cows when I was growing up in a dairy farm, and uh, my family's pretty much primarily been in dairy with a little um, dabbling in other crops and and animals throughout the years. But my brother um, is the next generation to come to the farm. And when he graduated from college, uh, we expanded our farm so that he could both be farming with my dad. And so you'll see that a lot in in farms that when somebody comes back and wants to farm, you got to grow a little bit. And so we now have about 180 Um, sometimes 200 cows. That's where we kind of live at right now. And so my brother 
farms along with his girlfriend and my mom and dad. So they're the ones on the farm day to day. Um, when the coronavirus hit, you know, earlier this year, it seems like just yesterday, but it is a few months that we've been living in this. Um, you know, how our family was impacted is very similar to dairy farms, not only in Wisconsin, but across the nation. You know, agriculture as a whole has been hit pretty hard the last five years. Uh, we really have seen a downturn when you look at severe weather that they've been dealing with and the trade rhetoric um, on the national, international level. There just hasn't been really the greatest paychecks and money flow happening for our farmers. And so when this pandemic hit, uh, it really did hit farmers' bottom lines. And at the end of the day, they they were hoping for a better year in 2020 and uh, thus far really haven't seen it. So we really have, you know, we were very hopeful and uh, 2020 did not really pan out so far with what farmers expected whatsoever. That's really tough, tough to deal with. And I know I had talked to you before and you had mentioned too that there's, you know, provisions, there's insurance policies, things that farmers typically would would take that they just didn't do because projections were supposed to be so good. Absolutely. There's a lot of different things when it comes to risk management that farmers take a look at year to year. And so, you know, those programs are something that farmers don't necessarily enjoy using, but they do it because when you have Mother Nature as your business partner, you just really never know what to expect. And um, many of them were, were taking a little bit of more of a gamble this year in hopes that things were turning around. And so, you know, we are seeing that. We're seeing a lot of people who prepared one way for the year, and that's just not what they're seeing. So, you know, there is some damage done out there for sure, because we just couldn't predict what uh, the coronavirus has brought to us. Yeah. And so to, to kind of combat with what the coronavirus has brought down on farmers, the federal government, they recently unveiled a $19 billion coronavirus relief package for farmers. Is a large portion of that money is being directed direct payments to farmers and $3 billion of that stimulus package is going to food box programs through the Department of Agriculture to prevent people from going hungry. How much of an impact is that like relief package making on farmers? Is it enough? Do they need more? Yeah, that was unveiled on uh, April 17th. And like you said, it kind of hits two different parts. One was directly hitting to farmers in aid. And then we also saw that uh, there was also some purchases made by USDA to try to help stabilize the market and also try to help those who need food access right now. So there was kind of two tiers to it. And you know, when it comes to government assistance, you know, farmers don't really like relying on the government. Um, there's definitely a general thought process out there that farmers just want to be business owners. They want to be able to just make an honest living. They want to be, they're independent people. They want to be able to just feed themselves and their families and also feed others. And that's why they're farmers. Relying on the government isn't necessarily that they something that they want to do, but just with how much they've been hit financially is something that they definitely appreciate that it was available to them. You know, when the restaurants shut down and schools shut down, we saw a really big hit to some of the markets that farmers, especially dairy farmers, where they take their products to. Um, schools are one of the biggest um, absorbers of, of fluid milk. They purchase a lot of fluid milk. And when that changed, obviously, that, that sent our supply chain into um, quite a big spiral. And so, you know, we had a lot of people that lost 
some of their marketing. And so that that aid will help, but it's not going to make our farmers whole. And I think, you know, sometimes the price tags that come with this funding seems very large, but we also have to keep in mind just how much money farmers see in and out the door day to day. They have very big price tags with almost everything they work with um, because they just deal in big quantities. So I think that's something to keep in mind, too, that the price tags that farmers have and are working with are much larger than what we can even fathom in our heads. And that supply chain piece, that is such an important piece. We're getting into that. Amy's actually doing a two-part interview here with us for Dairy Month, and we are going to get into that a little bit more in part two of this series. But I am curious, in this climate and and with the help and, and saying, like, there's so much more that, that needs to that needs to be done. And some of it is just trying to recoup costs and, and figure out how to move forward. If things continue the way that they have been, um, what do you think things look like for farmers, you know, by the end of this year, even, and maybe, you know, in the next six months? Uh, you know, our, our supply chain and our, our food system is very, very secure because we do a lot of research. Um, we know what people like to eat, when they like to eat, where they eat. And that sounds kind of creepy, uh, but we do that research in order for the food system to supply to our consumers the best that we possibly can. And so basically when everyone abruptly stopped what they had been doing for so long and for so many years, um, our system is so tailored to all of those eating needs and habits that it's just, you can't completely reverse it. A good example is, you know, you have a cheese processing plant and now, you know, we're not needing to move as much cheese, but we need to make more fluid milk. Well, you can't just turn over that processing system to make a completely different product, not knowing how long uh, you're going to need to make that product or how long the demand will happen. So, the supply de demand portion of it has drastically changed. And I think that we are going to see some long time repercussions of this. But for right now, short term, you know, people are just trying to make sure that the people who need food get the food. We're trying to get, you know, everything through the, the processing chain the best that we can from the farm all the way to the consumer. And I think everyone's still just in, for lack of a better word, scramble mode to make sure that everything's still moving. And as we settle into whatever a new normal is, we can figure out what the next, you know, six months, a year, two years, five years is going to look like. And I definitely think there'll be lots of lessons learned through this entire process, which, which will be very important to listen to. Lessons can be hard. Um, and I'm going to read from a few quotes from a blog that you posted. You were talking about some of the things that you were hearing from farmers. And when I read some of these things, they really struck me. They really give you the tone for how farmers are feeling right now. In fact, in the blog, you said, quote, it's painful to talk to my people right now because they are hurting. So even you're experiencing the same things that the farmers say they're experiencing. You went on to outline some of those comments and some of the things that farmers were saying, there was one quote where it was, this is all I've ever wanted to do. Why am I being punished for going after my dreams? Another farmer said, quote, why work so hard to lose money? And yet another farmer said, I don't want our children to see how much we are struggling. Those are very heavy words. Those are very heavy thoughts, even for farmers. What does it do to you when you hear these comments and from, from people who are typically optimistic, but right now it's tough out there? Yes, uh, farmers are always optimistic. Uh, they really are. I think in order to farm, like I mentioned before, if you're going to, you know, 
be a business partner with Mother Nature, who you never know what she's going to throw at you, especially the Wisconsin version. You know, you you have to be a positive person. You have to always be understanding of what situation you're in and looking for another avenue. And I think, you know, a big contributor of those comments is that, you know, we already discussed that, that 2020 was supposed to be the year of of up for a lot of our farmers. And they were really aiming towards this year as, okay, we've had some really tough times and this is the year things are going to turn around. This is the year I'm finally going to make some profit so I can do some improvements on my farm, you know, maybe move ahead with a, a goal or a building. There's just a lot of positivity in, in looking to this year. And I think when that came crashing down, a lot of the optimism went with it. Now, that's not to say that you know, farmers aren't still looking for all options. It's just what they had planned has been completely washed away, which again, I think we can all relate to in a sense that this year hasn't really given us what we expected by any means. So I do think that there is a lot of farmers that are still holding on to some optimism. I think that their plans drastically changed and and it's been hard for them to absorb that. And farmers uh, have a lot of pressure of carrying on that family business and they want to they want to feed others. That's really what they want to do. But at the end of the day, they also have to make some money themselves to make sure that they can take care of themselves and their families. And margins margins have been very tight. And, you know, it's it's hard to work in the red for a really long time and feel okay with that. So I think that's where some of those comments were coming from. And, um, you know, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. Thankfully, we've had a pretty decent planting season. And so I think that, you know, at least some of the bad days are being balanced out with some at least good field days, which for a farmer is the best that you can ask for. Yes. And, you know, I feel like one topic and it's come up, I've done numerous interviews, you know, post COVID-19, during COVID-19, and just kind of like trying to bounce back. And everybody, mental health is the topic across the board. Every single person is being impacted mentally. I'm curious for farmers, what is the mental toll on them right now? How are they doing? And are there resources available for farmers um, specifically when it comes to mental health? Because I feel like it's a, it's a little bit of a different beast for a farmer versus, you know, somebody like me. You know, when you're living years and years of, of really tight margins and, and uh, trying to make your business work, it can be draining enough. And then with more unexpected news, you know, that can hit you hard. And I think everyone's been brought to the light a little bit in the aspect of mental health and just how important it is. You know, with all of us being shut in our homes for quite a while, I think we got a glimpse of, you know, mental health and how important it is. You know, farmers are very much in the mindset of, you know, just pull up your bootstraps and make it happen. Uh, You know, they're they're hardworking people. They don't necessarily always think about themselves first. They're very giving, um, humble. Uh, but I think that's what we're trying to do in the agriculture community is to start to bring some of those things to light. By default, farmers are very isolated. Uh, you know, I, I know some of them kind of chuckled a little bit during the Safer at Home uh, because most of them didn't have to leave their property uh, to do much anyway. Many of the people come to them when it comes to sales and pickups and um, all of that stuff. And so, you know, besides getting groceries themselves, there's not too much that they have to leave for. Um, And so that also gives some added pressure to their mental health because who are they getting out to see and who are they talking about all of the stressors that are being carried around on their shoulders. Wisconsin Farm Bureau has been trying to bring this to light. A lot of other 
um, agriculture organizations have been just trying to talk about it more within the industry because it's just something that we need to just recognize and talk about. And I think that's the first step that we all can do is just ask each other how we're doing and actually be honest in a response so that if someone needs to talk, they have someone there to listen. And as far as resources go, uh, we have resources on Wisconsin Farm Bureau Federation's website. We have a rural resiliency page. American Farm Bureau has resources as well. But the Department of Ag Trade and Consumer Protection, the agency on the state level, does have a farm center. And through that, they also have resources where you can get mental health vouchers and um, talk to someone there. And that's all confidential as well. So something just for everyone to be aware about, aware of that those resources are available and that you shouldn't feel bad for needing to reach out. There's a lot going on in the world and, and it's okay to talk to somebody about that. Yes. Yes, it is. And I, so many people, I mean, talking to people right now really is what's helping get through this very tough year that we are living in right now. Um, I, I know our food chain supply you mentioned was a little disrupted. And at one point during this pandemic, grocery store shelves emptied out. In a lot of ways, uh, we had restrictions put on different products. Some of them were dairy products. Most recently, meat products have had a hold on how much people can purchase at a time. I think people were a little afraid there was a food shortage because when you see grocery store shelves emptied, that's the first thing you think is, well, there's no food. I know you and I talked about this a little bit, and I think it's important to share with our listeners today, too, that there's not a food shortage, is there? Or is there a food shortage? There's definitely not a food shortage. Um, in the U.S., we are so, you know, blessed, uh, as cliche as that sounds, but we have a very secure and safe food system, and we do have plenty of food. Um, the disruptions that we saw in the supply chains were a lot of times just things not moving to where they need to go or just shutdowns happening because of either virus scares or just extra protocols that needed to happen. You know, a lot of our, you know, processing plants had to potentially cut a shift so that they could sanitize and clean, um, or they did have some ill workers and were short staffed. And so the food coming from the farmers, that was definitely never in shortage. The problem was, is, and we're still seeing a little bit of this, of getting it through the supply chain. And we're all doing the best we can to make that happen. Um, and I think that for a while, it was just, there was, again, a lot of unknowns of, is there going to be product there, um, especially in some certain parts of the state, um, it just took a little bit longer to get your normal orders, or maybe you couldn't quite get as much just because of the situations at hand. But we definitely don't have to be fearful that we, we don't have enough food. Um, it's just taking a little bit of time to get through the process compared to normal. But we definitely have plenty of products. There is definitely no doubt there. And to that point, too, I mean, when you talk about a whole shift, I mean, schools closing down, that's huge when it comes to milk and, and so many other products. When you have this big shift, now if you have people going to the grocery store and, and buying in bulk and, and buying huge, huge quantities of things, that actually only compiles that problem more. Yeah, if people are buying a lot more than they normally do, that definitely impacts the supply chain as well. Like I said, we do tons and tons of research on people's buying habits, and and that really comes back to just trying to understand what people want and what they what they want and how they want it and when they buy it. And so that's us trying to tailor the supply chain and make it tighter 
so that we can deliver those goods. But a good example is, you know, a lot more people rather than, you know, when the restaurant's closed, uh, French fries are a huge, you know, piece of what people buy when they go to a restaurant. More people were buying, you know, regular potatoes to make a home-cooked meal at home. And so a shift even there, you don't really think about how much impact that could have. But, you know, we have people specifically growing certain types of potatoes for French fries. And so when something like that switches, um, it's just not something that you really think about when you go to buy your food at the grocery store. But there's such, you know, a process that's put in place um, to get that food quickly from the farm to the store. And there's just a lot of pressure put on it. And we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll be learning from this for a long time. The trickle effect with farming. It's incredible when you trace it back. I learned so much talking to you, Amy. And for an average person like me, you know, who, who doesn't have a farmer in the family and just kind of goes to the grocery store and buys things and is, is just kind of living in today's normal, you know, world as a consumer, what can I do? How can I help the farmers out there? Well, I think it's important to note that, you know, the food that you get at the grocery store is safe. Um, like I said, we are just, we have so many options in this country and we have no scares when it comes to our food that it's safe and it's coming from good sources. And so I think, first of all, just as a shopper, I, I really truly hope that people have confidence in the food that they're eating um, because the people behind that product take a lot of pride in making that happen. But if you specifically want to help Wisconsin and our farmers, um, you know, look for some of the labels that help you distinguish um, what products come from our state. So there's a label called something special from Wisconsin. Um, it's a red label and you can easily Google that and see what it looks like. But there's a lot of products, whether they're in grocery stores or other niche um, markets and stores you can find. And those products all obviously come from Wisconsin. Uh, when it comes to dairy products, um, you can look up the code on your milk to find out where it's being processed. Um, so you can, I think it's called whereismymilkfrom.com or something like that, and you can look that up. Um, you also can look for the some, or, uh, Wisconsin cheese logo. We have a specific logo that says if cheese is made in Wisconsin. And so uh, I definitely encourage people to look for that seal. Um, it's something that we take a lot of pride in. Um, we have a lot of cheese stores in the state. You know, go to the, go to the specialty cheese store and check it out. Um, support a local business that way. That's a very easy way to support, um, especially our dairy farmers right now. But we also have a lot of local meat processors, a lot of um, just, you know, small businesses that sell Wisconsin agricultural products. And so anytime you can seek those out, you can definitely uh, know that the money is staying within Wisconsin, which is something that's very exciting. And you also can take a look at um, trying to buy directly from farmers. Some farmers sell, um, you know, meat directly off their farms. Um, some of them sell products that they make directly there too. So you can definitely check out those options if that interests you as well. Sounds good, Amy. And I know I'll be checking that out. Those specialty cheese stores, they're, they're so good. <laughs> you get such good stuff there. Wisconsin has uh, 600 plus varieties of cheese. And I, I don't know if I should admit this, but I feel like I've tried so many of them. <laughs> There's, it's amazing. The flavors are so good. Some of them, you, you, you just, you get hooked. 
All right, Amy. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to next week when we'll dig into a few more things that farmers are dealing with and ways that we can um, try to help them on a bigger level, uh, what what can be done in the legislature and, and other things of that nature. So thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Soul Source. And if you want to get more Soul Source, you can always find us on just about every platform podcasts are hosted on, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If there's something you want us to talk about or discover more, we can do that too. We have a Facebook group. It's called the Soul Source Society. Head on over there, join the group, and share your thoughts with us. We have exclusive content that we only share there. That's Soul Source Society on Facebook. We hope to see you there. Soul Source is brought to you by Red Shoes Inc., a leading agency specializing in crisis and strategic communications, media relations, social media, and so much more. To learn more about Red Shoes or Soul Source, visit us at redshoesinc.com.